0: A real treat for y'all Rondring's fam Stephanie Morimoto who I got to meet during our days working at Teach for America nearly 18 years ago we also overlapped at another social impact organization called New Leaders and now she is the CEO of a wellness company called Asutra so we walked through a variety of topics from the lessons she learned not only from her grandfather but her parents and uh meeting Farmer Al, which is a big part of her story to create, you know, this big wellness brand that um, Oprah has big up one of her products. So check out the episode. Let me know what y'all think, Rondering's fam. Rondering's fam, what's going on? We have my friend from our Teach for America, and though we didn't overlap at New Leaders, we did collaborate on a number of things when she was a senior leader at New Leaders, and now, you know, beauty, products, wellness, founder, and social justice activist with that work, my friend, Stephanie Morimoto. Welcome, Stephanie, to the Rondering's Podcast.
1: Thanks so much, Ron. It's so awesome to reconnect with you, especially here.
0: Yeah, we hadn't seen each other for years, and it was a really nice, just chance bumping into each other at the Asian American Foundation Gala and Summit. And to see you there, I was like, "Of course you'd be here because you've blown up, and you know they they need corporate sponsors, and you were sponsoring the event." I was like, "Oh crap, All right, we got to <laughs> chat and catch up." Yeah. Yeah. Well, how have you been since then? What's been What's been new? Yeah.
1: Uh, it's been a great start to summer. You yeah. know, as you know, I own, like, as you mentioned, I own Asutra, a wellness products business that sells natural remedies for sleep, better sleep, and pain relief. And it's been a busy summer for Asutra. I got to go on QVC, went to their studios, got to be Ooh. on live, which was a lot of fun. Wow. Uh, we're, we're expanding in Walgreens stores and, you know, trying to get some fun and family time in in between.
0: Beautiful. Well, thank you, Stephanie, for sharing that up front. So we're going to go back in the rewind machine as we do with all my Rounderings podcast guests. Start us off with your story. What is Stephanie Morimoto's story?
1: Yeah, it's so interesting because I was just having this conversation over the weekend with somebody about who is Stephanie Morimoto. And I liked how they asked, who are you? Because I think that is often not how we think about it, right? We, We do think about what do we do. What are we doing professionally? What roles do we play in the world or in our community? And yet one thing that I learned a few years ago as I was sort of recovering from this burnout experience or moment was reflecting on who you are and who you want to be in the world is just as important as what you accomplish or what you produce in the world. So in terms of who I am, (laughs) I would say today, I I practice at and strive to be a great family member, a great friend, uh, a supportive and caring leader, and somebody who you know gives back
0: to my community in a variety of ways. Mm. That's wonderful, Stephanie. So, how did you start? When you start off on your journey of like who you are today, go back in the rewind machine. What what were some of the things along the way? that you'd want to point out to the audience around the arc of your story that got you to define who you are today, as you just said?
1: Yeah, I grew up in a town called Joliet, Illinois. It's about an hour southwest of Chicago. Uh, When I was growing up, it was about 70,000 people in the town. And actually, Mm. in the public schools I went to, pretty diverse, pretty evenly balanced between African-American Latinx and white students, but there weren't really any Asian Americans. There was myself and one other girl in the high school who was Asian American. And I grew up really feeling that feeling like I don't ever see anybody who looks like me on Mm. TV in movies at the time in magazines. Remember magazines <laughs> from when we were growing up? Barely Those existence.
0: things that <laughs> we would use to have a funny story, we would take magazine covers in our old apartment in East Flatbush, put them under our feet, and do paper skates in our apartment. That's how I remember <laughs> magazines. <laughs>
1: Exactly. Exactly. I know I have a woman who works for me who's 25. And when I was talking about magazine subscription, she gave me this funny look like, what are you? What are you talking about? What is a magazine subscription? But it's true, right? I mean, when you grow up and you don't see anybody around you who looks like you, who is a role model for you, who feels like a part of the culture, it can be tough. And so that was something I think that stuck with me. That was one sort of key experience or moment. And then I think the other part of it was, you know, parents who were incredibly, incredibly supportive of me in terms of believing that I could achieve anything, but also pushed me really hard to be perfect, to get all A's, to achieve a lot of things. And so it wasn't about what we were talking about at the top. Who are you? What type of person do you want to be? What type of human do you want to be in the world? It was rather what can you accomplish? What can you achieve um, in your life? Mm. So there were those two forces in my life early on. And yet I also saw my grandfather, Japanese American man, who was incarcerated with over a hundred thousand other people of Japanese descent during World War II, simply because of their ethnic background. He was in those incarceration camps as a kid. He was 10, 11 years old. Mm. And yet, after he got out, he worked his way through college, worked his way through medical school, actually ended up joining the National Guard to help defend this country that had not perhaps treated him so well and right. his family, and built his practice as an eye doctor in Joliet. And he really, mm. he built a successful practice while creating good jobs for people in Joliet and giving back to the community through charitable work and through providing medical care to inmates at the state prison in Joliet where I grew up. So all these different forces, right? Not seeing people like me, other Asian Americans represented, feeling this push to achieve and be perfect, but then also seeing this example of my grandfather living this balanced, joyful life because he was living his purpose and being an incredible Mm. leader and leader in the community. So I share all of those examples because I think each of them have had a critical role in who I've become today, right? I think as an Asian American woman entrepreneur, I feel it's so important to be out there to represent perhaps a different journey or a different version of who you can be, what you can do in this world. And then on the you know, the push to be perfect, the push to achieve a lot, that led me to a moment of burnout. I was working 18 hour days traveling across the country, not getting sleep. Mm. <laughs> Ooh, yeah,
0: exactly <laughs> <laughs> You know what's crazy? That is not an atypical story. Yeah. yeah.
1: and I, I had to I had to kind of hit a wall where I just couldn't do it anymore to then say to myself, all right, there's got to be a different way to do this. I don't want to live like this for the rest of my life and the rest of my career. How do I create a different life, create a different work environment for myself and other people where we can actually take care of ourselves while also taking care of business, where we can bring our full selves to work and where we can have that culture that supports all of that. And then finally, you know, I really admired my grandfather. He helped raise me when my parents were both working when I was a kid. And Mm. his example of building a successful business while also doing good work in the community was something that I wanted. I wanted to emulate because I really admired him.
0: Mm. Tell us more about your grandfather. Why did he decide to become, I think I heard an eye doctor and he served in the the, the National Guard, served in this country, despite some of what he dealt with as a Japanese-American immigrant. Let's bring him to the forefront. Describe your grandfather for us.
1: Yeah. So his father and and mother were the ones who came over from Japan. He actually was born and grew up in a rural area in Washington state. Huh. And then, as I said, when he was about 10, 11 years old, unfortunately was forced to go into these incarceration camps in World War II. And what is incredible about him is despite that experience, he was never bitter. He was the embodiment of the golden rule. Treat other people like you want to be treated. When he passed away in 2017, there were maybe 400 people who came to his wake, if not more. The line was literally around the building and into the parking lot. Oh my gosh. He had touched all these people in the community. I mean, it was mm. nurses from the hospital he worked with, his employees, patients, people that he worked in the charitable organizations with, and obviously family. So he was just, he was honestly an incredible human being. And then mm. you know, as a as a caregiver to me, along with my grandmother, when I was growing up, he did things like teach me how to swim <laughs> when I was a little kid. Wow! Um, you know, he would he would take me to play tennis or golf you know at the at the local tennis court or golf course and he i think just was a great mentor to me i mean he showed me by example how to live a great life how to treat people well and you know also how to build a successful business and balance that with other things that brought him joy the final thing I'll say about him is he really did, I and mean, he loved, I think he loved medicine because he really, truly loved caring for other people. I mean, you know, he saved people from blindness. He helped people maintain wow. or improve their vision. And that was his purpose. That was his joy. He loved doing that for other people. And it gave him professional satisfaction to keep learning about the medicine and the innovations in the
0: field. Yeah. I want to bring back something you said when you were talking about your story, right? You bring your, you brought your grandfather into the space, so thank you for that. I also want to bring your parents into the space, because I think you talked about there being this tension between living your purpose, visibility, and then also what you accomplish as a measure of your value. And so I don't want to say that was all on your parents necessarily, right? But walk us through some of those stories and values you learned from your parents and how you started over time, reconciling it, whether, you know, before you started working or during your journey of like where you ended up being at a sutra.
1: I have to share a little bit about my parents' stories too, to give context, I think, to yes, you know, how they were as adults and parents. Yeah. So, you know, my dad is the son of the grandfather I just described. So a third generation Japanese American was actually born and grew up in Joliet, where i was born and grew up as well, a small Midwestern town, also one of very few Asian-Americans in Joliet, mm. and uh, you know, ended up going to Vanderbilt University in Tennessee as also wow. one of the very few Asian-Americans. He got mm. he went there, he was a swimmer in high school, and so he was recruited ah. by the team. And then met he and my mother met in dental school, so they ended up in healthcare as well. Okay. So he had this kind of if you will, in some ways, all-American, Midwestern upbringing. And, you know, my dad, I would say, was very hardworking, also worked extremely hard to build his practice, uh, maybe a little too hard sometimes. So I certainly got some of the workaholic tendencies from his example. But he also really loves doing other stuff that brings him joy, you know, whether it's fishing or exercising or going and watching the Cubs, spending time with his kids, just doing funny stuff, joking around, listening to music. So I got all of that from him. And then my mother, you know, she she also overcame a lot of adversity. She's ethnically Chinese, but was born in Indonesia. And when she was a teenager, there was mm-hmm. massive civil unrest in Indonesia. And they were massacring a lot of ethnic Chinese people uh,
0: mm-hmm. during that.
1: So she and her brother, her younger brother and her parents had to flee their homeland. They had to flee Indonesia. Wow. And they were sponsored by relatives in Los Angeles. They came over. And for a while, my mother was here in the United States with her younger brother without her parents because they had to sort of stay behind and try to tie up all of their affairs before they left Asia. So my mom's 16 years old in a foreign country, you know, where this is English is her second language. She's kind of helping to take care of my brother. They're going to high school in LA. I mean, it's intense, right? Yeah. And I think that experience, you know, obviously brings with it a lot of trauma. And, you know, I think she grew up in because of those experiences, she grew up in such a way that she really wanted to assimilate. She wanted to become American. She wanted her daughter you know, me and our kids to be able to be seamlessly American and not face any challenges being in this culture. And I think because of her experience, you know, she, and because her mother pushed her as well, she really pushed me quite hard to, you know, be perfect, achieve a lot. And then you sort of can't be questioned, right? How you fit in here can't be questioned if you're accomplishing all of these great things.
0: There's so much there. It's funny. I am uh I'm almost like kind of rewinding in time what high school Stephanie might have been like. So I am watching, um, this is not a plug for Netflix by any stretch of the night, but I've been watching All American on Netflix. So it's a high school coming of age drama centered on football. And so, you know, so much of that drama is centered around how not only the parents, but certainly the high school kids are either running towards something or running away from something. Right. So I give that analogy to start getting you into, okay, Stephanie's reconciling all of these things, you know, between how her grandparents are living and what her, her the, the messages from your parents start walking us through how you started working with those competing messages from college on. What did that mean for you to be hearing what sounds like some very different ways to be and to live, to experience mm-hmm. the world?
1: mm mm-hmm. I think college was probably the first moment where I had the freedom to explore mm-hmm. different ways of being and different paths forward. When I was in high school, I pushed myself really hard. I pushed myself to get great grades. I was in every single club. I did a lot <laughs> of stuff. I volunteered. Mm-hmm. I you know ran the Thanksgiving food drive for families who didn't have food. I mean, I just did all the things. And it was it was tiring you know but you're also a teenager so you have a different level of energy i think that's i remember those life. days
0: not that yeah. far long ago 30 years
1: oh. <laughs> <But> yeah exactly <laughs> exactly i barely remember those days but um i was really lucky to get into brown university
0: mm. and
1: you know a little about brown for people who may not be familiar they are very focused on intellectual freedom so you have requirements for your major, but you don't have other core academic requirements. You're free to take whatever other classes you want. And the point of it is to give you the freedom to to chart your own path and to explore academic subjects you might never otherwise have explored. So that was really incredible. The other incredible thing for me at Brown was that they had a really intentional and structured focus on You know, what we'd call today diversity, equity, and inclusion. Every incoming first year student Hmm. went through a series of programming to understand structural racism, structural sexism, discrimination,
0: and how that's across all of Brown University, every Every, incoming freshman. Every incoming
1: freshman. It was part of our orientation.
0: Yeah. Fascinating
1: real conversations about it. I mean, I remember, I vividly remember, you know, we were all sitting around on the floor in this common room and our unit, one of our freshman units, they did it by like, you know, freshman dorm setting. And this student, white male student from the South pointed at a black female student in our unit and said, well, you're just here because of affirmative action.
0: Holy sh. <laughs> yeah.
1: Really? I mean, we got into it and the counselors who were facilitating these conversations though, they like really they did support and guide us to get into it and we dissected that mm. conversation and why that statement like didn't make any sense and you know, why was he making those assumptions and the whole thing. And this was in uh, 1995. So, I feel like it was actually in many ways ahead of its time, if you will. So I think being in an environment where I was just exposed to having those types of conversations and also got to meet people from all around the country, all around the world, who came from all different walks of life, combined with being able to explore whatever I wanted to academically or intellectually was mind blowing.
0: Right? Yeah. It's like,
1: oh, wow, um, I've gone from this very like highly structured situation that I was in in high school pushing to achieve, achieve, achieve to a world where there are almost, there's almost no structure. Any structure is self-created and so many things to explore, so many different perspectives to engage with. And, you know, a friend of mine who's in his sixties has this idea of seven seminal moments in your life. What are the seven seminal moments? that sort of led you to who you are today or where you are today. Mm. And going to Brown was definitely one of them because it just opened my eyes to what else was out there. And I think that was the first, it still took me quite some time to get to this point of like, how do I, how do I focus on who I am versus what I do? And how do I disconnect my productivity from my worth as a human but I do think being at Brown for college was that first moment that spurred in me, oh, there's, you know, there's different values I can hold. There's a different way that I can be in this world.
0: I love this idea of the seven seminal moments. It almost sounds like, you know, this is the moment for me to ask the, this is your life Stephanie Morimoto. <laughs> so I'm going to go with this because like, once again, as you know, this is all improv, right? What's the next seminal moment?
1: Mm, okay. Well, first I think was, was having exposure to all the things in my family, right? My mom, yeah. my dad, my grandparents.
0: Yeah.
1: Second was definitely Brown. You know, I think third was, was working at Teach for America. I do think you mentioned that's where we met. That's where we grew up together. professionally. <laughs> <We did laughs> it was a crash course <laughs> of growing up. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I'll be honest, that is where I hit my burnout wall. However... <laughs> I think it did teach me about what does working in a mission-driven organization really look like and what are some of the real benefits of that? You know, how do you rally people around a cause or a purpose that everybody can believe in and work towards collectively? And I think that is powerful, no matter what that mission or purpose is, understanding how to lead, lead an organization and lead teams in that regard. You know, I think it did also, I mean, it taught me a really valuable lesson. I That is where I was working 18 hour days and doing seven people's jobs and traveling constantly and not making time for sleep, for rest, mm. for rejuvenation, for for joy outside of work, you know, or even the basics of good nutrition and movement and hydration and all that stuff. I think if I hadn't worked so hard and hit that wall, I never would have realized oh my gosh, there is a whole different way that I should be living that so many other people should be living where, you know, look, it's so easy to get caught up in the hustle to feel like I got to just go, go, go and hit the next milestone, hit the next goal. And it's cliche by now, but it's still true when we're in that hamster wheel, we don't stop to appreciate the journey. And we certainly often forget to take care of ourselves. And yet, you know, what do we have except for our physical, mental, and emotional well-being? If we don't don't care for that, it's really hard to be a good human in this world.
0: Yeah. It's so fascinating, right? I don't want to put this just on Teach for America because there are many other mission-based organizations throughout the country and throughout the world, right? But what I've experienced is, you know, the, the mythology of if you're a martyr, you are the one who's closer to the mission, you're going to do what's best for the community, right? But when you start to unpack the martyrdom and what that actually means for our humanity, the actual impact we have on the communities, right? We're actually doing more of a detriment. Yeah, Right. exactly. Um. So talk to us, Stephanie, how did you start recapturing that self-care? It sounds like you maybe had some moments, not only Teach America, but beyond this idea of being able to say, I, there's something really powerful you said around being able to. I, I heard, it wasn't decommission, it was like de um, de something like your productivity to to oh, actualize yeah. your humanity, right? You said I oh, forgetting the to verb, to but decouple it, right? I think decouple, to, yes, decouple it.
1: We we often think, oh, well, if I'm busy, if I'm productive, if I'm achieving all these things, that I'm worthy. And I think it's a, and mm. I still. It's still hard for me sometimes today, but yeah. I think really practicing this idea of actually just living as a human in this world means we are worthy, right? And that's true for the people around us too. And how do you treat yourself with love and kindness? And how do you treat other people from a place of love and kindness? Because you recognize that, hey, like being in this world, being Ron, who is, you know, partner, partner, parent, leader, thinker, that's, that's enough. That's enough.
0: I love this thread because I think folks, I'm sure when they see your brand and they see you today, right? This idea of treating others with love and kindness is so what makes up who a suture, the, the brand <laughs> the product you as the, as the founder is. So walk us through to teach America inflection point, How did you get to start actualizing this treating others with love and kindness professionally and personally?
1: Yeah, it was a 10-year journey, honestly. You know, and that's the other thing I want to say because I think sometimes people think Oh I just have to do 17 things and then you know in 2 weeks I'll be this different person and it doesn't work like that right 49.99 so Yeah <laughs> I mean it takes work it takes focus it takes commitment you do have to commit to it you have to commit to you So for me I think it was you know, again, I, I do say that it was Teacher America was pivotal because I did hit that wall. And a lot of that was on me. I mean, yes, it was a culture, I think, that exacerbated some of my own tendencies. But I also take responsibility for the fact that I wasn't setting boundaries. I wasn't listening to my body and my mind and my soul and what it needed. And it really did take hitting that wall for me to be like, OK, this is a wake up call. I got to do this differently.
0: Okay.
1: And, you know, I was fortunate at the time that I could quit my job at Teach for America and take a little time off. And that helped me reset. It actually helped me recenter around what mattered to me. What are my values? To be honest, though, the first thing I did was sleep. (laughs) I
0: slept. How long was that hibernation?
1: (laughs) I'm not kidding. I slept 11 hours a night for 30 days straight. I was so exhausted that I could not get up until I slept that long every night. And that reset that reset my circadian rhythms, my bio you know, my physical right. block because I was like, Oh, when I'm rested, I feel like a whole different person. Mm. Right? Like my yeah. mind is clear, I can focus, I'm so much more patient, I feel mm. energized, creative, there's stuff I wanna do. So that was helpful. Sleep. And that is still my top tip is sleep. And then I incorporated other things, right? I started to move every day. I started to eat more nutritious food. I went to therapy. And my therapist taught me a lot about this idea of who are you in the world versus what are you achieving? This idea of decoupling productivity from my self-worth. And also, frankly, she taught me about, okay, look, you know, you have certain... You have certain proclivities. You are inclined to maybe not always set the best boundaries or to focus on productivity as your sense of self-worth. How do you make sure that you're in environments that aren't taking advantage of that or making it much harder for you to do the things that are healthier for you to do? And then also making sure that I was creating time for stuff that brings me joy, whether that's spending time with family or friends or sometimes just rolling with it. I mean, I remember at the time I was living in San Francisco and I remember yep. going to this local food event and I met, I randomly met this guy, Farmer Al, who had Farmer been- Farmer Al. Farmer Al. Okay. He literally was like this six foot five guy with silver hair and overalls in this hipster restaurant in San Francisco. And the reason he was there is he runs one of the most successful organic fruit orchards in California, Hmm. but that's not what he started out doing. He actually started as an educator and then he got this, he felt this call to Mm. go back to the land and do something more tangible, regenerative for, you know, the land and the planet and that he could do something he could do that would take care of his family and take care of the earth, but also be fun. And he invited me to go see his farm. And wow. you know, that was also a seminal moment, I would say, because it showed me a model of somebody who was running a business in a very different way. Uh, it was about purpose and profits, about community, you know, and a great product. And he just was clearly having a
0: blast doing it. And I thought, hmm.
1: that's cool. How
0: do I do something like that someday? So what's the next seminal moment? So <laughs> TFA... Meeting former Al and a chance <laughs> opportunity, being out for work, pleasure out in San Fran and going to this hipster restaurant. What's what, what yeah. was next?
1: You know, I think I have to say for me, it really has been a sutra, creating a yeah. sutra. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes four or five seminal moments. And I'm saying I'm not at seven yet because my life is not done. <laughs> so, you know, we're yeah. still in the journey. Yes. But for me, it was buying and creating a sutra
0: for sure. So talk to us a little bit about that. Um, how did you decide to start a sutra? What has that journey been like?
1: So I bought a sutra five years ago. We just celebrated okay. our fifth anniversary and I discovered Congrats. a sutra. Thank you. Yeah, we all, right. all had, we had a team party. It was great. We even had a cake with an a sutra logo on it made by a local baker. <laughs> so it was nice. good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a veteran who is starting a baking business so it's great to support his his burgeoning small business too hmm. i actually discovered sutra as a customer i was using the magnesium oil spray and the pain relievers uh. because i bought them on amazon where i discovered them and loved okay. them and then in parallel a good friend of mine had bought a small business where the founder was ready to retire And he didn't have somebody to turn it over to. So I made a small investment to help her do that. She financed the rest through an SBA-backed bank loan. And she kind of let me go along for the ride. You know, what was it like taking over this business where literally all the paperwork was on sheets of paper in a box in the corner? There were no computer Mm. systems. (laughs) There was so much that had to be professionalized and built. And obviously ups and downs with that, but overall a really fun experience. And I thought, ah, oh, that's something I could do. You know, I had this example of my grandfather with his medical practice, Farmer Al with his fruit orchard. So I had the vision of the type of culture and business I wanted to build. Yeah. But I know I'm not a startup person. So the ah, idea of, okay. right, mm. the idea mm. of becoming an entrepreneur through acquisition sounded really exciting. And that's also what I did at Teach for America in the nonprofit world is grow something that had proof of concept. So I set out to find a small business to buy, was networking like crazy, met with a lawyer who does these transactions. And he said, I just got a memo that a wellness products business is for sale. It might be right up your alley because you know he knew about this whole journey we've been talking about. And he sends me the details. I look at the brand name and I said, oh my gosh, I have these products in my medicine cabinet right now. Like Small I
0: world. Right. Look at that.
1: So it felt a little like destiny and I talked to the two brothers and their wives who founded the company and they were thrilled at the idea of selling the business to somebody who was a loyal user. It was a baby business about a year and a half old at the time and only sold on Amazon. And so I thought, oh, yeah. it's got traction, great reviews. I love the products personally, because as you know, I can never sell anything I don't personally use and believe in. Yes. And And a real opportunity to sort of relaunch, reimagine the brand and diversify the revenue by, you know, selling not just in Amazon, but going into retail and reaching people in other ways. So, yeah, it's been an incredible journey. And, you know, the last thing I'll say at the moment, I'm sure you have more questions, is it has been super rewarding to get to build the type of culture that I think I always dreamed of working in that really does value our employees and their well-being as well as our
0: customers yeah it's so fascinating that i'm interviewing you after having interviewed a couple of other folks who are also on the ronda rings podcast talking about building cultures of inclusion and equity right building these uh cultures of wellness and so you obviously bought this company right and built it to what it like its next iteration but what was the culture before then? How, what did you have to do around shifting the culture to be where it is today?
1: Yeah, so I actually had the opportunity to hire all new people. The mm. founders built the business in Houston, Texas, and I knew I wanted to build the business in Chicago where yep. I'm from and where I was living, and also in part to create good jobs for people who need them in Chicago, as that's, that is a gap or a need here in the city. And the people who worked there before, they just weren't either willing or able to move to Chicago. So better, even though I was buying pre-existing brand, right, I had the benefit of, of a clean slate in some ways to create the, culture Got it. the team Okay.
0: Two. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. So you had this blank slate, Stephanie. Talk us through some of what you built towards, some of the challenges, lessons, mistakes you made to, to build a sutra to this very well recognized brand and please shout out all the wonderful things for the audience the people like, I don't want to do I'm tempted to, but you know, I'm just like,
1: damn. Yeah. Just, well, okay, so brief overview of what a sutra yeah. even is. I mentioned this a little bit earlier on, but yeah. our mission at a sutra is what we call active self-care. So we sell products, but also provide inspiration and education to help you take care of yourself on purpose so that you really can be your best in this world. And our product focus is topical magnesium, which is really good for you. And I can talk more about that later. Um, But topical magnesium, like in the form of sprays and lotions and bath soaks. And the magnesium helps with both pain relief. So you can feel better, whether it's after exercise or because you've got restless legs or arthritis. And the topical magnesium also helps with better sleep. So it helps you relax. Helps your brain function better. It helps your muscles operate better, and you know, for people who suffer from aches and pains that might keep them up at night, it helps ease those so that you can get a really great night's sleep. And then we have some other products that round out our sleep ritual as well. So we've got a melatonin magnesium body lotion, which helps you calm down. We've got a lavender pillow spray, and then we've got a weighted salt sleep mask that Oprah picked for her favorite things list last holiday. I
0: picked it, Stephanie? <laughs> Oprah.
1: <laughs> yes. hot damn the oprah the oprah yeah our, oprah. our sales damn. went through the roof uh mm. and then you can find us on amazon still and then we focused on diversifying into retail so you can also buy a sutra in the pain sleep aisle at target now at walgreens mm. as well we just launched and expanded actually in mm. Walgreens, as well as natural product stores like natural grocers in the west growth collaborative drive
0: yeah. market and iherb So you started using the products even before you knew that you were going to acquire this company, right? So walk us through the moment. If you remember this, I'm sure this is part of the story too. Like the first time you bought the Asutra product, I'm assuming their magnesium product was when this was happening.
1: Yeah. You know, I have to say, I know this is going to sound dramatic, but I am such a believer in topical magnesium because it really did change my life. Hmm. I bought the magnesium oil spray from a sutra on Amazon, just as a customer before I bought the business. And I felt better using it every day. I would, you know, spray it on my hands, the palms of my hands and massage it into my neck and shoulders, my back. And I used to get chronic back pain. I would have stomach aches. I would have headaches, all these things. And I'm not saying the spray is a magic bullet that's going to solve all your problems, by I know not. It's like one piece of the puzzle. Yeah. But I will say that, you know, learning to sleep better, learning to move more, learning to eat better, frankly, right? All of that plus using the magnesium just made me feel so much better. And I don't get the chronic pain anymore that I used to. My back feels pretty good most of the time. You know, sometimes I still need to put more pain cream on <laughs> um, or do some stretches. My stomach aches are almost all gone. Headaches too. Wow. And um, so I personally experienced how good it was for me. And I thought, okay, I've learned a lot about wellness in general, routines, rituals, practices. Plus I'm using this product that has really helped me. How do we put those two things together and share them with the world through a sutra and that's exactly what we're you know what we
0: work to do every day that's so fascinating because you probably have seen all my crazy posts on Instagram and Facebook around how semi psychotic I am around my fitness routine yes. um <laughs>
1: you you actually were one of the people that inspired me <laughs> to get much more into a fitness routine because I saw what you were doing every day
0: yeah and one of the things I've learned similar to your wellness journey sleep is the foundation and so is eating eating is always the thing that like i figure out because i love to eat good rich food but i also know that when i eat better my productivity in the gym but also how i feel is so dramatically better so there's always this tension about what i put in my body and supplements yeah right and so I have probably researched God knows how much about supplements, following people on IG, listening to all kinds of people, and surprise, surprise, when you said magnesium, I take a magnesium tablet daily for the last three or four months, and I've kept it in rotation because I have noticed the difference in terms of how my body feels from taking it, right? It's just from taking a single tablet that I just devour with all the other crazy stuff that I take, creatine, da-da-da-da-da, da name all the products, right? So... It's so fascinating to hear how powerful magnesium is as a cornerstone of a sutra and the impact not only it's had with your body and your wellness, but not only mine, but like there's a lot of wellness conversation I read where it's like folks are like foundational magnesium. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I was listening to a podcast by a brain doctor and he said, look, I honestly don't recommend a ton of supplements, but the the one I always recommend is magnesium. And as you said, you can take it as a tablet or even as a powder, you know, mix in water, you can do it ingestible, but some people get an upset stomach with ingestible or oral magnesium. So another way that you can use it is topically. And we have just straight up magnesium sprays and lotions, but we also have versions that we combine with active ingredients like menthol for cooling pain relief or capsaicin, which is derived from chili peppers for warming pain relief. So the great thing about it is, you know, magnesium can absorb through your skin and help with targeted pain relief or headaches, or just again, a better sense of calm, better functioning in your body. And then if you're using like the warming pain reliever or the cooling pain reliever, you can put it right on the spot where you're feeling that ache or pain, right? Your knee, your back, your neck, your shoulder, whatever, and get mm. that relief right away. Versus, as you know, when you take a pain pill or something, it takes a while. Like it, you may have to wait thirty to sixty minutes for it to work through your digestive system and
0: actually take effect. Yeah, you make me realize. Um, I probably need to buy some. <laughs> I'm like, wait a second. This is so my own post-workout routine includes, surprise, surprise, what's the other supplement that's become uber popular, right, that people take for pain relief? CBD.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I take, oh God, it's like drinking gasoline. God bless. I. <laughs> it's it's so nasty. I have my drop. People are like, what the hell is that? They look at me, I'm like, trust folks. Once you get past the taste, I take like, one really big drop and I'm, it helps a ton. I push my body really hard. And there are things I've learned around my own routine. I'm going to start playing around with some topical magnesium too, because the, the CBD, when you mentioned, when I put, cause I played with lotions and all kinds of things, like the topical CBD, it is, oh my goodness. And then if you do it like, yeah, I, you know, I have a, a friend who creates a lot of these CBD products and I put it on with, you know, the different scents. I'm like, why would I want to put anything else on my body? It just, cause when you put these things on, you realize the effect it has and it doesn't yeah. have to be something when you start to understand, you know, if I think of another brand, which I shouldn't name cause I don't want them to sue me, but I remember using a lot of these um, um, analgesics, right? when, yeah. I was a neuroscience major, so I remember learning about the mechanism of pain receptors. And like all it does is blunt your pain. And so what does your body do as a compensation? Brings more pain receptors. So what does yeah. happen after you use these analgesics? Yeah. You feel yeah. more sore, right? You go, what what? And so if you could use products that actually are healing the pain rather than just pushing the pain away then we're on to something, right? Which you sound like to oversimplify magnesium's yeah. effect, because yeah, I'm not I, a th- right? <laughs> I love
1: that you're saying that. And I'm not a doctor, kid. we should have all these disclaimers for sure. Yeah. But the research shows that yes, magnesium helps heal, it helps level up your wellness. So it is a critical mineral in your body. And it's Important for over 300 healthy body functions. It helps your brain function better. It helps your blood and your heart flow better. It helps your muscles function better. It's in your bones and helps them be strong. It's actually in the the interstitial spaces. This is what another doctor researcher was telling me. So it's actually in the you know in the liquid in the plasma that's in between your cells. So yeah. it's really, really helpful for you. And then like I said, we combine it with things like menthol and capsaicin, which do help you know just it basically stops the communication of pain between your brain and the pain receptors in your elbow or your neck or your back or wherever you're feeling it. So mm. you have that immediate relief, but then you also
0: have the magnesium, which helps you feel better over time. Yeah. I want to go back to the idea of the seven seminal moments that you have in your life. What is the next seminal moment that you think you're building towards, Stephanie?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. To be honest, I'm not sure I've totally figured that out yet. You know, for us at Asutra, and you and I talked about this a little bit at the Asian American Foundation Summit. I mean, something that I really am, look, I think it's amazing. We have over 12,000 five-star reviews. We're growing on Amazon. We're growing in Target, Walgreens, all these retail stores. We have customers who write to us all the time with their own stories of a sutra is the one thing that's helped them manage their chronic pain. A suture is the one mm. thing that helps them get to sleep at night. And it's, it's awesome yeah. to know that yes. you're making products that help people have a better quality of life. Right. I think the other thing that I'm really proud of is how our team has stepped up into self care, true self care. I think we talk about self care and it's kind of a commercialized term. It's like, Oh, I need to go to the spa or, take a bed, gone. or whatever. <laughs> And I, you know, our belief in a sutra is that real self-care is actually about knowing you, knowing yourself, knowing your needs, and carving out time to do the things that help you feel better and feel well. You know, for you, it's it's fitness and exercise. For me, now it is too, and it didn't used to be. It's sleep, it's daily movement. It's yeah. doing things that bring me joy, right? And to see my team Step up into that is awesome. You know, we had an employee who had chronic pain and other health issues, and she was finally died because we offer full benefits, health benefits, life insurance, the whole kit. And mm. all, she was finally able to go to doctors that diagnosed what it was, and it was MS. And oh, while wow. uh, well, it's oh. not you know, the diagnosis anyone wants to get, at least she knew. And then when yes. she knew, she could come up with a care plan with her doctors and her team of doctors. And then we at Asutra could reconstruct her job so that she could, like she has to take a nap in the middle of the day. She has two young kids that she has to be there for. We revised her job so that she could do it from home. She can take a nap in the middle of the day and she can work yeah. hours that she is able to do her job. And she does a great job, right? We have other workers in our warehouse who have taken the idea of financial well-being very seriously. They've saved up to pay off credit card debt and two of them bought their first ever homes because mm. they have the stable job at a sutra and they knew they could do that. So that I'm really excited about. And I share those stories to say, I think that's that's really where I want to go. I don't know what the seminal moment is exactly, but I just, I've seen how our products and what we stand for, our values can help people change their lives or just, or improve their quality of life. And I want us to do that for
0: so many more people. Sounds like you've created a workplace culture, Stephanie, of, the effects that topical magnesium has in people's bodies,
1: right? <laughs> yeah, um, no one's ever put it that way, but that's a great way to put it.
0: This is improv. <laughs> 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 what have you learned to build that culture, right? Because when I hear these stories, Stephanie, especially in the world of for-profit companies, and let's be clear, it's not like our being in social impact is really any better, but hearing about reconstructing someone's job so they can have their wellness, right? For having folks, you know, supporting their financial well being, right? Those things, in my experience, happen as more accidents mm. and individual employees' willingness to do that for themselves rather than the company creating that infrastructure. So, what have you learned in the five years? Like, what have you built there that has allowed for these stories to be, sounds like commonplace at a sutra?
1: I have to go back to my family as an example. I think yeah. I saw the way my grandfather ran his eye doctor practice. I saw the way my dad ran his oral surgery practice. I mean, they they created good paying jobs for people in a town where those were hard to come by. And they, you know, they treated, I, this can be a double-edged sword, but I would say they treated their employees like family in a good way. Like we are going to care for each other. We're going to create a good culture We're going to be honest with each other, support each other. And that created a lot of loyalty among the employees, but also a sense of safety, right? The employees felt like secure in what they were doing. And so they could also give their best and bring up ideas and improve things. And I got to give them a lot of credit for modeling that for me. Yeah. And then honestly, I think it was also, I wanted to create a workplace that had all the things that I wished I had had access to as a younger professional, right? I wanted yeah. a culture where I felt like I was always trying to create these islands within the larger organizations I worked in where my people felt cared for. They felt like I had their back, that we had each other's backs and that we could be our true selves at work, good, bad and ugly sometimes, right? And that because we felt that safety, we could also do some of our best and most creative work. And I just wanted that to be true for everyone at a sutra. And then the other thing is I don't want to be a hypocrite. I mean, if if we're saying that, Like, you know, integrity is really important to me. Yes. If I'm going to sell products and share tips to help people, our customers live better lives, then we better be... Providing that for our employees too, because they're the they're the front line. They're the first ones that customers talk to if they have a question or a concern, and they gotta feel that same energy and love from our employees that you know we're saying they need to incorporate into their lives.
0: Yeah, I wonder, Stephanie, if your next seminal moment is to show that a sutra is this proof point where good paying job, being able to recognize an employee's full humanity mm-hmm. so they can live the life that they want to live right let's be clear i mean name a lot of come put companies on blast you can get a good paying job and you treat it like doo-doo yeah you're a widget right maybe you're a proof point and, and obviously you're part of a lot of these conversations and workforce development i'm sure not only in chicago beyond but i'm watching the conversation because i'm a part of it from my executive search lens and You know, I don't know how much the conversation gets intertwined, aligned with like, you know, good paying jobs should come with sustainability of spirit,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: sustainability of one's body. Because to be clear, like in my own journey of like figuring these things out, my my father died of a major heart attack at 52. Mm -hmm. I am four years away from that. Mm -hmm. I'm turning 48 this soon. Let me not say the date because my podcast team, don't say dates on (laughs) your podcast because that's the people get thrown off. I'm like, ow, yes, reminder. And I need to be around for my kids and my wife. Yeah. I plan on being here as long as I can. And selfishly, I want to live a life where it's not just about the paycheck that I have, the money, the access, the house, all these things, but how I feel. Mm -hmm. Like that's even as important as what my checking account says what how many followers i have on all those things it doesn't all the, that sh- that shit doesn't matter if i'm not feeling good mm-hmm. and i'm not able to like find my joy I, for what so my daughters can look at me like a oh, daddy killed himself because yeah. he worked like a maniac yeah yeah um yeah just, it doesn't seem to be and i think what what's so beautiful about this conversation i think you and i have been on somewhat our journeys have intertwined, but also parallel journeys of, wait a second, there is, we've always had those examples in our life. And now we have the foundation from learning those stories to have the creativity, the vision to create something that people have always wanted.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's possible. I love what you're saying about the next seminal moment. I think if we can I guess in some ways without knowing it, that's what I've been doing, right? I'm setting out to yeah. prove that you can build a successful business that also has success built into it for its employees, but not success is just money or profits, but good lives, happiness, joy, health, right? Full, well-rounded, joyful lives.
0: Yeah, I get happier when my, the colleagues I manage in my team tell me, I've lost 15 pounds. I've had more space to walk, Ron. You as a manager, give me space. Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing, I don't care what kind of, I mean, I do care about the revenue because it
1: basically, (laughs) right? (laughs)
0: Right. But when you hear, when I hear these things about what I've been able to do to help folks create and be that example of like, Ron, we see what you do to take care of yourself. We know you don't work crazy hours and I don't by design. Now, do I work hard? Yeah, but it doesn't show up in the hour ledger the way that it did 15, 20 years ago.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Right? And there's a lot of reasons for that, right? And I have designed my life and my career to be that. And i am that's the way I have to live. Now, it doesn't mean that if I had to work more hours that I wouldn't, of course I would if I had to, but why do we have to? It's actually oh, yeah,
1: amazing yeah. how much you can get done in fewer hours. And you know, this yeah. is probably maybe a challenge to people listening is try it, yeah. try it for a week. Say, actually, I'm not, I'm going to force myself to only work, I don't know, 20 hours or 30 hours or whatever the lower number is than you're working now. And how much can you actually get done in that time? And how much do you prioritize? Because the other thing is, there are only a few things that are really important to get done every week. And we can get caught up in email and meetings and conference calls and double booking ourselves. But how much <laughs> of those things really are moving the needle? you know, for whatever it is you're trying to accomplish.
0: All right. Stephanie, we're at that point in the podcast. (laughs) What is your wondering?
1: Oh, this has been such an incredible conversation. It's been a journey in and of itself to experience that I feel kind of sad. I only, I only get to pick one. Um,
0: you can pick two. You're stepping <laughs> in more You get two. Slow so do will take 20 minutes. I don't want to hit the yeah. stop button. <laughs> Honestly, I would say the big one is
1: probably just repeating some of the stuff we've said. Like, truly, I think all of us can probably do better at taking care of ourselves well. You know, maybe like you, we're really focused on our physical fitness. How about your, you know, your mental well-being, your emotional or spiritual well-being? How is that? How are you caring for that? Or vice versa. Maybe you're really great at doing your daily meditation or your, you know, your, you practice your faith or whatever it might be. But are you doing the things like sleep and great nutrition and hydration and movement that are also taking care of your physical body in the right way? So I would say the the main thing is I have seen and experienced how much my life has changed My employees' lives have changed. We're working on my partner Mm. as well. (laughs) He's making progress. When you incorporate real self-care into your life, it's, it's a game changer.
0: Yeah. Well, Stephanie, before I let you go, what would you like to promote that's happening for you in your life in a sutra and beyond the sutra? What would you like to put on blast for our audience?
1: Yeah, I would say two things. One, you know, the sutra, please go check us out. If you haven't checked us out already, you can find us on Amazon, in your local Target, in the pain sleep aisle or Walgreens. So please give it a shot. And hopefully it inspires you to incorporate more self-care rituals into your daily life. You know, the second thing is, I'll, I'll share one organization I'm a part of, and hopefully it sort of inspires people to think about where they can give back to I just joined the board of a nonprofit called hope Chicago. And Mm. we are partnering with five high schools on the West and South sides where most kids don't get to go to college because they can't afford it. We have promised every single kid who gets into college, a state school in Illinois that they get to.
0: Oh my God. Wow.
1: Yeah. Debt free college Mm. for every student. And here's the kicker Mm. and one parent from every family, because to me, Sending both the kids and the adults back to school is what's going to create real socioeconomic change and opportunity for whole families uh, in our city. And show what's possible when everyone truly has access. Right. So if you haven't heard of Hope Chicago, check them out, but also maybe think about, hey, how what what can I do to help even just one other person get more
0: access uh, in this world to a better life? So beautifully said, Stephanie, you are living your values, not only of self-care, but creating the conditions and systems and workplaces that folks can access that self-care, not on top of the wonderful products that y'all sell with Sutra. So Stephanie, thank you for being a part of Ronderings. Thank you for being a friend. Feel very blessed to continue to get to know you and see what you're building in the Sutra and beyond. So Ronderings fam, we're going to have more hot and popping people on our podcast, continue to, to listen, amplify what we're doing here and peace y'all. This has been a pleasure. Thank you, Stephanie. Thanks Ron. Wow. All I got to say fam is when Stephanie Morimoto and a sutra end up, on a Netflix series about how she's built this company that allows for good paying jobs and treating people's full humanity so they can have the wellness they want in their lives. You can say she's a friend of the Rounderings the podcast. Learned so much from how she's aligned her values around being able to ensure self care is not just putting on a spray, but it's a the totality of what someone wants, whether it's around physical wellness and financial wellness. And she's built a a company in the last five years that is demonstrating those values. So check them out, folks. And I hope to see you on more Ronderings. Peace.